On this episode of Inside Right, we have Jeff Young, who is a writer for theatre, radio, TV and film. The theatre work has been produced internationally and he's had over 30 radio productions. TV work includes EastEnders, Casualty, Hobby City and CBBC. He also works on collaborative projects and site-specific performance, installation and spoken word. His most recent work includes Bright Phoenix, the 50th anniversary production at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool and Transformer, an essay for BBC Radio 3 on the influence of Franz Kafka on his work. He is also a tutor of creative writing at LJMU. Jeff's now going to read a piece called Decay Magic. 23 proposals for Decay Magic. 1. After Grandma dies and you are clearing out her house, look for the tortoiseshell bowls on her dressing table full of coils of her long hair, a lifetime's collection of hair fallings. 2. When you find a wasp's nest in an outhouse, Cradle the paper city in your hands and let your body heat cause its collapse. 3. Secrete the old lady's hair fallings in pillowcases, wallets and handbags and murmur her name. 4. Open all the dictionaries and encyclopedias in libraries and bookshops to the entries on decay. 5. Abandon the cinemas where you once watched musicals. Oklahoma flickering forever on a screen of cobweb silk. 6. Let Budleer grow in the cracks of ruined churches. 7. Do not give your rowing boat a new coat of paint. 8. Cultivate bruised knees and surface wounds to the extent that you can see inside your body. 9. Do not Remove fledgling birds from boarded-up fireplaces. 10. Wait and listen for sparrow panic to subside and then imagine small birds turning to dust amongst the ash and cinders. 11. Carry a coil of grandmother's hair in your overcoat pocket. Wrap it around your knuckle like a signet ring of old lady grey. 12. Crack the ice in the haunted lake and watch your rowing boat sink slowly beneath the willow. 13. Let the moths do their worst. 14. After your final visit to the old woman's house, leave the front door on the latch and let the house die slowly. 15. Record the funeral hymn on an old cassette machine and then unravel the tape and hang it in Hawthorne. Let the wind exorcise the voices Abide with me, fading for evermore. 16. Uncork the wine bottles and let the claret transform into vinegar. 17. Let the raindrops fall on bricks and mortar, eat into the stone. Then listen to the music of the falling rain, a symphony of decay as it turns the house into a ruin. 18. Let insects with Latin names devour the leather, glue, paper and ink of old books until they crumble into dust and your folklore is forgotten forever. 19. We are decaying every minute, but the ravages of time can be encouraged if we know the secret codes. 20. As we age and the quality of cell repair deteriorates, our bones become brittle, corneas clouded and our senses fail. This is the sad, sweet poetry of decay. 21. We cannot even dance to the old songs or remember the sad words. 
the decay magic is working. 22. We are decaying, and all the wisdom in the world will not prevent this. Think on this, if thinking is still possible. By the time we are old, we have lost an ounce of brain. 23. These are the 23 proposals for decay magic. Now all that remains to be done is to burn the hair. Thanks for that, Jeff. How did you get into writing and when did you know that's what you wanted to do? Um, well, all the way through my teenage years, I was all I was ever going to be was a painter. Um, I just wanted to paint and go to art school. And to be honest, it was the only thing I was any particularly any good at at school. Um, but I left school. Um, well, I left school with no qualifications, and I failed uh, to get into Liverpool Art School, which was the only place I didn't that I wanted to go. And so I, I just basically dropped out, and I went off travelling for quite a long time, and lived in lots of different places. Um, and um, so I lived in Germany, and uh, I lived in Barcelona, and then I ended up living as a squatter in Amsterdam for two and a half years and in the time I was living with Amsterdam I start, in Amsterdam I started writing poetry about a lot of the, the characters uh, that lived in that in the building I lived in and um, and then I got a poem published in an English language magazine like an arts magazine and I just thought oh, this, this felt like quite a good thing to do so I'd always been looking for a creative outlet you yeah. know and um, so I, I thought, I had this feeling, this instinct that I had to come back to Liverpool to, to do that. Um, I've never really understood why that was the case, apart from the fact that it's something to do with roots, you know. Yeah. So I came back to Liverpool and, uh, and I was doing stand-up poetry gigs, like open mic kind of gigs, but on, there was quite a healthy poetry circuit there. This is back in the eighties, yeah, yeah. and um, and then I was on the bill one night in the old Irish Centre with the, uh, this playwright, um, he was a poet and a playwright called Mark Davis Markham, and he said to me, "Have you ever thought of writing a play?" And it, I'd, it had never even occurred to me. I'd never really been to theatre, and uh, and that was the trigger really. Um, he had a play on at this thing called Liverpool Lumstown Theatre, which was like a. Exactly what it says. It was a, a theatre theater that took place in lunchtime. You could go and have a pint and watch a play. And he had a play on, <clears throat> and I went to see it, and I loved it. It was like, um, it was a kind of scouse comedy, really, but it was really well done. Yeah. And then I, ca I came away from that, and I wrote a script in about three weeks, and I sent it to him, and then he passed it on to the same company, to Liverpool Lunchtime Theatre. And after a bit of work, they, they produced it, uh, and it went on. It started off in the Playhouse studio, and then it went to the Unity Theatre. And um, and that was the, that was my way in, really. Um, I, 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 had the, I had this play on, and it was a really good experience. But it didn't do very well. It got, it got massacred <laughs> in the newspapers, uh, in the reviews. But it was kind of felt good, and I met this community of people, because I'd been out of Liverpool for years, and then... So I met all these artists and writers and actors and musicians and stuff like that. And I just thought this is a good thing to be part of. And then, um, but, I, but I also thought, oh, I've had a play on. I didn't have any kind of sense that that went anywhere. Yeah. 
But then about a year later, the same company got in touch with me and asked me if I had another one, and so I lied and said, yeah, I've got one. <laughs> and then they said, can we can we read it? So I wrote this script really quickly and stuck it in. This is before email, you know, and uh, stuck it in the post and sent it to them, and then, uh, then they ended up workshopping that, and that, that went on. That was it. And then... Uh, and then my girlfriend at the time, she went off travelling. She went, she went, she went off again. She went to South America, and I stayed here, and just carried on. And one thing led to another. Yeah. So I was going to ask a bit later on, but you're saying about going back to your roots and coming back to Liverpool. Do you think Liverpool is a good place to be an artist? I think it's like an incredible city to to be a writer in, to be any kind of artist. You know, um, it's a great city for musicians, but as a as a writer. You're just surrounded by stories every time you, you you step outside your door. You know, it's cliche, it's a stereotype that you know Liverpool this thing. You know, Liverpool people they're natural comedians, but most of them are. There's always a funny story, or there's always like, or what what Liverpool people are great at is telling a, a funny story which actually has a real darkness underneath it. You know, it's usually a funny story about something going horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and so as like material for writers, it's all out there. You only have to, you, you look at the city. The, the city itself is, you know, the, the architecture, the, 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 you know, the river, the people on the streets. Steeped uh, in history. Steeped in, in history, culture, uh, tragedy, comedy. Um, you go on the bus or you sit in a pub, someone's going to tell you a story. And, um, but it's not just that. It's, this is another thing. It's also like the, 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 the language itself, the the accent, the the rhythm of the speech, um, and you can, you just you, you kind of learn how people speak through listening to their stories, you know, and that feeds into the way that you write. Yeah. Um, no, that's like a. You know, I don't think you get you get that in some city. I think Newcastle is another city that's a bit like that, and I guess Glasgow. Uh, there's something about the rhythm of speech and the, the, the way the way people put sentences together, and and it's it's like an invent it's like our own language almost, you know. So the, so it's a mixture of the stories, but but it's also the, the sheer spoken word, you know. It's musicality, so it isn't the rhythm to the action. Yeah, and particularly with the older generations, you know, um, the pride and, and dignity and, and, and the way people tell you tell you their stories, you know. So it's a rich source, um, and and if you've got like a love for the city, I mean, a lot of what I do is Liverpool-based, but it's trying to convey my own uh, passion for the place and or and anger about things going wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, like Bright Phoenix, the play I had on at the Everyman a couple of years ago was about anger that that. The city was being kind of insulted by planners and the council and stuff like that, and it was like an argument about saying, "How can you do this? You know, this is where we grew up, and you're, and you're injuring the city." Yeah, you know? yeah. You're taking something away from yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You dress it up as some, yeah, something that's new and fresh. Not, but they're not adding to it; they're reducing it. Yeah. And every time they reduce it, um, a piece of the city uh, disappears. You know. And that takes that's another that's like dismantling a person's character. The city is like a like a person, you know. And you take something out of it and you're reducing that person. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. What has teaching obviously a teacher now at LGM, you was teaching influenced your writing 
good or bad. The best thing about uh, teaching is, uh, you know, this is serious, uh, uh, seriously and honest, honestly, is uh, the time that you spend with the students. Everything else is just apparatus. Everything else is just this machine. What's What's really good is that you got the opportunity to sit in a room with 10, 15, 20 people who are, who are all there to tell stories and to share stories. And every time anybody tells you a story or shares a story, you instinctively learn from it. If you've got this appetite for stories, um, it feeds into the way you think about stories. Um, doesn't matter what level of experience you're at, um, you can learn every, every, every time you do a writer's workshop, you, you're going to learn something about the way you write yourself. Uh, and you know, nine times out of ten, I come out of a workshop thinking I'd never even thought of doing it that way. And you can apply that to your own work. Yeah. You know? And I don't see that there's any kind of uh, hierarchy uh, or separation. I don't think, I don't, I mean, I, I seriously don't think of myself as, as like a lecturer. I'm just a writer, and everybody in that room is a writer. So it's a room full of writers talking about writing. Yeah. What better place to, to, to learn about your own work, you know? Which I think is a healthy way to yeah. it, I don't think it's like, you know, quite often I, I'm being taught, I'm learning things, you know. Um, uh, you don't, it's like, because it's an enclosed space, you quite often don't get the opportunity to talk to other writers outside of the workshop, you know. When you're out and about in, in the streets or in the pubs or whatever, <laughs> usually when you see another writer, you leave. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know you go, oh, you know, I'm not sitting with him. <laughs> Before the competition, yeah, jealousy obviously. Because there is like, a, there is a sense of like, the, what, however, you know, Joe Bloggs writes, Ah, that's not the way you write. No, that's not the sort of stories that you want to tell. So you don't want to. But in a workshop, you you know you you're there for two or three hours, and you, it's an opportunity to listen and to talk. You know, yeah. it's rich. You know, that's why I, that's what that's the only reason I, I I'm still here. You know, <laughs> I like I like I like hearing that. And sometimes in a workshop, I just sit and listen. You know, all you're really doing is is convening a group of people. Yeah. You know. You don't necessarily have advice, but other people have, so it's really potent. You know. Have your influences changed over time? Have you found your taste has changed, or has it made remain consistent? Well, I, I think that I kind of. Well, my thing is that I'm self-taught in every way, um, and I learned about literature through picking up books in the junk shops and markets and second-hand bookshops and that kind of thing and um, and I, a lot of it was just like saying god that looks weird what is that i'll buy it i was always drawn to the unusual and the strange you know like and um so in a way nothing's really changed because all what's all, all that's happening is that that's expanded you know yeah like i'm always looking for things that are outside of convention outside of the mainstream i'm not interested in the mainstream of culture of art, I want to know what's that. What's that over there? Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> so it's still the same. You know, I'm looking for the films that. I, what I what I really like is being put outside of my my uh, comfortable place. I like to feel un, un, uneasy. Yeah. Because I think that's where the interesting stuff happens. Mm -hmm. You know, 
if you're sitting there watching a film or reading a book and think, oh, I don't quite get it, I love that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. If I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I know what's going on, I know what I under get, I get it, I get it. That's not particularly interesting. So I'm looking for like the stuff that pushes back barriers. And then what what I'm trying to do, not always successfully, but you do you just keep trying, is to push the barriers, the boundaries myself. So if you think you in your own writing, if you think you can settle into a bit of a a narrow avenue or a rut, the job is to challenge yourself and make yourself scared. You know, so it's that. So what you read in is the stuff that frightens you. Thinking, God, how does he do that? What does it mean? And what you should be doing in your own work is frightening yourself. You know, I don't mean in a horror way. Like <laughs> challenging yourself, challenging yourself, and, get, and making things difficult and, and complicated and being a bit uncertain. You know, so really, no, it's like it's not, it's not, it's, it's not like about particular. It's not necessarily about particular writers. It's about a world of risk. You know, yeah. that's the influence. That's the inspiration. It's not refreshing to hear that because there's the old stereotype that as you age or get older, you sort of become more conservative in taste. Well, I've gone the other way. It's true. It's like uh, they say that you know politically, you know, people who are socialists when they're teenagers end up voting Tory. Like, Reading the Daily Mail. <laughs> Reading the Daily Mail. I've got. I've gone the other. I mean, I've, I was never that. I've always been like left wing, and I've always been like a Labour uh, voter. But I class myself as an anarchist now. Yeah. I've gone beyond, I'm, I'm beyond the bloody Labour Party, <laughs> you know, I, I want to be there, you know, as well, again, it's like, what's beyond, what's in the margins, what's in the darkness, you know, new ideas, yeah, yeah, we've t- touched on, obviously, you write for radio, stage, television, you know, art installations, what's your writing process like, and does it change from each project, or do you always approach it the same way? I think what uh, tends to happen is that, um, well, you find that you're always, I find that I'm always writing about kind of similar worlds, um, but you, you kind of, so if it's, so for instance, if it's an installation or a site-specific project, you're working on it in, a, in an unusual place, like I'm doing this project at the minute, it's set in New Brighton, it's working in New Brighton, and we're working with these uh, old merchants, seamen, these old uh, mostly Liverpool men, a lot of uh, Glaswegian men as well are, are here, and we're, we're in this retirement home on, on the wall. Um, we're doing, a, we're not doing a conventional play. Uh, we're doing a, a sound and voice installation, and it's going to be, you know, probably outdoors and New Brighton. But the kind of stories that we're collecting and that we're going to end up writing are, are in the same world as. You know, a play that a play that I might have had on at the Everyman or whatever, or on the radio. But what you're doing is you're just filtering things out. So you, you're trying to make a, a piece of work in a completely different way. Um, it's quite hard to explain, but it's like um, so. For instance, we're collecting stories off these old men, but we'll we'll just take phrases, fragments out of what they're telling. They're telling the most amazing stories. Yeah. Well, because we're not doing a conventional play, all we were doing is drawing out these really potent phrases, you know, and weaving them together with, with, with the soundscape, with the music. So it's about, um, yeah, 
So for radio, um, it's a, it's such a, it's a difficult thing. So for, for radio, I, I mostly I'm telling again, you know. So the last few radio things I've done, one was about uh, true based on true stories about teenage girls in Mexico. Oh, yeah, that was excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kidnapped by drug cartels. Really moving as well. Recently, I did a story set in a, in Caranderu, Brazilian prison. Um, they're all about people who who don't fit into the conventional world, you know. So there's different approaches to telling the stories, but they're quite often same theme, same theme. Yeah. And the theme is like it's this th thing. Bright Phoenix, my play, is about people out living outside of society, but they're living out there because they want to be there, you know, and like. You get that in the underworld, in the criminal world. You know, people think of oh, those poor people who resorted to a life of crime. A yeah. lot, of, a lot of the times, because they do not want to fit, be, belong. They don't fit in or want to be in the conventional world. I'm interested in that. It's like it's not, it's not even opting out of society. It's like not recognizing society yeah. as anything that matters. You know, so seeing things from their point of view as opposed to our culture. That yeah, is yeah. We should look down on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So it and it yeah exactly, and it connects with like when I lived in Amsterdam and I was a squatter. We weren't being squatters because um, we couldn't find a place to to exist to, to fit in into conventional society. We 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 were creating a separate society, you know, which we we didn't need all that stuff. You know? Deliberate choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it, I don't know. It, I don't think that quite answers your question, but it really. But it's like it's about finding different ways to tell stories about again it's that thing about what's beyond yeah you know. have you got a particular do you find writing to any particular form have you got a favorite radio radio radio's the best like, <laughs> the thing about what people uh, what people don't get is that radio is a visual medium you listen to it if you if you do it right if you get if you get it right what you're doing is you've got a one-to-one -one conversation with the person listening uh, and you're telling the story to the person listening and you are creating a, th a theatre in that person's imagination and if you're telling it right they are they're imagining the world that you're trying to paint you know and you hardly have to do anything like now if you're making a film you've got you've got the visual world at your disposal you know and you just point the camera and you see the world in radio you have to you have to trick the listener into imagining the world. So you, it, it's like a cinema in the head, you know. It's like, um, so the, the beauty of radio is that if you get it right, and quite often you don't, so like and lots of radio writers, you know, you, if you listen to the radio on a daily basis to radio drama, there's probably only one in ten that actually succeed. Yeah. But when it succeeds, it's bliss, you know. And that's what that's what I like to do. So like the Mexican teenage girl thing was like it was just the, the challenge of trying to evoke yeah. Mexico in your at your desk. You know? <laughs> I listened to it, and it was very something that's so foreign, so far away. It was a very personal thing to listen to. Yeah, as you say, you're, you're asking the uh, the listener to create that world in their mind. Yeah. And for something that's set in Mexico about a life that I don't understand to create that personal touch. 
it's a it's a like it's a world the world that we were writing about i was writing about it's like it's almost impossible to to imagine that that exists you know uh you know, teenage girls hiding in holes in the ground uh, uh covered in scorpions because the drugs cartel has come into town to steal them you know and i mean that that was like possible because we were drawing on such powerful true life stories for that um but yeah you, you, you know a million people listen to a radio drama yeah you know but you're not talking to a million people you're talking to one person in their car or in their living room or you know with their earbuds in or whatever and you and you 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 you're trying to paint action and landscapes in their imaginations you know in the scope and that's that's great you know i mean i like i do i like working in theater as well because you can play games in theater you know you can you know you just put a cardboard box on a stage and tell the audience it's a house and they can leave <laughs> you know <laughs> but it's, I, no radio is the best um, i'd rather do that i mean also like radio is a writer's medium you looked after uh, the producers want to serve you, you know. Yeah. You work in TV, you're just someone who supplies the hubcaps, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, in the car factory, you know, you're nothing. <laughs> if you can hear any, any advice for writers in general, but mainly young writers who maybe have just started to accept themselves as writers or identify as writers? I think it's like, don't be afraid to make things difficult and to struggle if difficult. It's not, it's a difficult job to do. But the, 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 the process, the imaginative act of getting a story onto a page is difficult, I think. And it should be. Um, I think, um, I, th I mean, I think every time you ask the question, have you got any advice, it's always going to be a different answer. But yeah. today, uh, today in that workshop, I was just thinking, it's all right for things to be difficult, you know. I always think that... Uh, and my advice is embrace the difficulty. Yeah, way through. Yeah. If you could go for a drink with one writer, dead or alive, who would it be and I've, why? I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads. <laughs> um, dead, uh, Samuel Beckett. Uh, Samuel Beckett was one of those writers when I was picking up books in junk shops that I thought, you know, he's, he's just like stunningly attractive man. <laughs> he's like the most amazing face ever you know and I was like who is this guy and what is this book you know and then when I started reading him I started reading, reading his fiction first and then I moved on to his dramas and his poetry and he's just phenomenal you know um, and he, he just he, he created worlds that we haven't seen on stage before you know he could put character in a dustbin and and, and, and and it was about an existential crisis, you know. We believed it. You know? Endgame was one of the first plays I've read, and it's still yeah, one of the best plays. It's amazing, oh, amazing, it's unbelievable. And like, so it, it would be Samuel Beckett, and I, I, I do know two. I think <laughs> I know two people who went to who decided they were going to go and meet Samuel Beckett years and years ago, and they they found out where he lived in Paris, and they uh, they went to his house, and one of them just bottled down, couldn't do it, and the other guy stayed, and he said it. The guy who couldn't do it said, I'll meet you in the, in the park. And he went to sit in the Luxembourg Gardens, and about half an hour later, he was sitting there and he saw his mate walking through the Luxembourg Gardens with Samuel Beckett, <laughs> you know, chatting away. And uh, and he was livid, he was green with envy, you know. And then when they met later, it, and he said, like, 
what did you talk about? And some, and he said, uh, uh, cricket and whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, and it was like, he did it, he, he spoke to, you know, what, a dead person, I would go and sit in a bar in Paris with Samuel Beckett, he, had, he, he wore great clothes, he had a great hairstyle. <laughs> I think we need to make that film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a living person, it would be Jim Cartwright, <clears throat> uh, who wrote Road, which was like one of the first... Um, scripts theatre scripts that I just, that was one of the things that connected with me when I first started writing plays reading road and thought like god this is possible you know you can tell stories this way um I, I have actually been in the pub with Jim Cartwright in the past and he's like hell of a man to be in a pub with so, <laughs> uh, if he was here now and he, he you know he'd pass in I'd say do you fancy a pint <laughs> <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> Jeff thanks very much no thank you Jeff. <laughs>